0: Hello and welcome everyone to another live stream. My name is Andrew Krause and I co-founded right with Stephen Key over 20 years ago. and been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since. We're going to do a whole hour of Q&A. So start typing in your questions into the chat and I'll answer them. I see we have two people already typed in. Usually by this point, you know, we just got started, but we'll have like five or six already. So if you want to get one of your questions answered, please type it in now. Uh, don't don't delay. Oh, very funny, Dana. Dana, Dana works for us, and she wrote disclaimer because I always joke that I forget to um, say the disclaimer until like halfway in. Actually, I was gonna do it on time this time, Dana. So, but thank you for the reminder. Um, so, the disclaimer is: anything I share with you on this stream should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney for legal advice. Um, we're just giving general business advice, and. Um, And you're technically not our student because you're not a student of ours, but you're a fan. So just take whatever I say with a grain of salt. Um, But I'm always right. Right, Dana, right? Yeah, of course. Um, So start typing your questions into the chat. I like to say this at the top for those of you that are gonna watch the replay on this and I'll keep it really brief. I'll keep it, let's try to keep it as short as possible what licensing is. So what we coach and mentor our students to do is not to start a business and sell the product themselves, but to license. So when you're licensing, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their existing distribution. You don't need to raise money, you don't need to hire employees, and you don't need to try to convince retailers to sell to you when you're a company that they've never dealt with before and only has one product, because the company you license to might have 20, 50, 100 thousands of products, okay? So you get everything in one place, And with the invent right approach, you don't need to mortgage your house and home because you're not spending 10 grand on a patent, five grand on a prototype. You're spending 75 bucks on a provisional, maybe a few bucks on a virtual prototype. Doesn't mean that we don't have students that have already filed a patent or have a fancy prototype. We have plenty of students that do, but it means that you don't have to do those things. And most of the time you shouldn't do those things, but you guys can ask me questions on that if you have any questions on that. So um, let's just jump in here and uh, everybody can hear me okay just type yes just to make sure So it's was good to make sure as soon as i see one person says yes then i'll keep going um there we go okay i don't see anybody saying yes yet but oh there we go thank you Ooh, we got a yes sir from steve smith bunch of yeses okay we're good um okay so <laughs> uh first one's a handle you guys feel also feel free to type in your first name uh at the beginning of your question so that I can read off your real first name or a nice first name rather than these silly handles. But I kind of have fun with the handles. So um, this one's from recessive genius. Uh, Hi, Andrew. I've been trying to get the question answered for for weeks. If I happen to come up with an amazing name for an idea, is there any point of trademarking it if I intend on licensing? it? Yeah, I've addressed that many times in these Q and A's, but I don't blame you guys if you haven't watched every single minute of all the Q and A's I've done. Um, It's usually not worth it. So, and again, what I'm sharing is not legal advice. So consult your trademark attorney. Of course, they're gonna want you to file a trademark, but what's the practicality of it? Quite often, they're not gonna wanna name it what you wanna name it. They might sometimes. So what all our students do is what's called a common law trademark. You come up with a name for the product, you throw it on your marketing materials. And the common law trademark is the little TM. So you put a little TM with a circle around it. And the registered trademark is the R with a circle around it. So a common law trademark just means you're putting people on notice that you intend on filing a trademark. Um, you, may have, you may have not. So, so for instance, we've been around 20, 21 years at Invent right here. And so we went 18 years, maybe 17 and a half, without filing a trademark. Because we use the product in commerce, because we've been coaching and mentoring vendors in over 65 countries and every state in the United States, um, if anybody was doing invention coaching and they tried to use the name InventRight, we would toast them. You know, they would all we'd have to show is all our marketing history that we had been using this trademark um, in the marketplace called InventRight. And if they were in now, if, if they were in a completely different space, it might not be applicable. But in event right, you could make an argument. Um, then we're like, oh no, we use it in commerce, so you don't have to file a trademark in order to get protection from a trademark. So we could have never filed a registered trademark. But after 17 and a half years, we're like, oh, what the hell? Has anybody ever tried the knockoff for a name? No. If anybody ever did, we would we would just be able to kick their butt because trademarks are pretty easy to. Um, debate. It's just like, okay, they're in this category and they have this name. That's going to create confusion in the mind of the consumer. Okay. So that's if you're selling the product, but you guys are trying to license. You haven't sold anything. You haven't put it out there in commerce. So does it offer as much protection to you? No, not really. It doesn't offer as much, but it's fine. I've never had a single one of our students that I'm aware of get their ideas stolen or taken by a company they had presented to. So if they presented to a company and then one of these companies said, no, screw you, I'm going to take it. Or they just said, no, we're not interested. And later they issued it. I've never seen that happen to one of our students. And the reason why that is, is our students are very professional. Conducting yourselves professionally for that three or 4% of companies that might want to mess with you, they don't want to knock you off. So that's what I'm saying with regards to you sending your ideas into companies and that applies to trademarks, as too. If you've got a great name for your product, um, it, it's just so unlikely that a company's going to like knock that name off. So what our students do, it doesn't cost them a dime. They put the little TM with a circle around it next to the product name. And nine times out of 10, they're not going to name it what you want to name it. So they're going to want to name it something else. But if they're interested, you're kind of putting them on notice. Look, this mark means something to me. And I came up with it. And so you can license that. We've had students license that as part of the package, and then you could register and pay for the trademark. But to spend that kind of money, not even knowing if they're going to be interested in, it kind of shows a little bit um, of naivete on your part, too, to think that this big company is going to want to name it what you want to name it. Also kind of like, oh, it's my baby. You have to name it. And if they get an inkling that you know, you want to make it pink and they want to make it purple and you're going to argue about it, or they want to name it something else and they believe they don't like your name and you're going to fight over that, that's a great way to kill a licensing deal. We don't let our students do that. And our students are level-headed. They don't want to do that. But I've talked to other inventors that do stupid stuff like that. And that is stupid. So the long and short of it, recessive genius, it's funny calling people by their screen name, is I would do a common law trademark. Uh, to spend the money on a trademark every time you come up with an idea, trademarking the name, people are way too obsessed with protection um, and they screw themselves that way because you you start to spend all this money. And what if you come up with another idea, another idea, another idea, and your your bankroll to bankroll each project is getting bigger and bigger. And, you you know, it's just it's an unnecessary cost. So if you get if they really like it, then I would register it now. Could that be a little risky? Could something happen there because you're not actually using it in commerce, but um yeah, it could is it worth the savings in this case, I would say it is, but again, consult your attorney. I'm not your legal advisor, okay, and of course, the trademark attorneys, oh, yes, you must file the trademark, you know, of course, you're going to say that um, so what's the point um inspirational, intelligent athlete is the handle. And the, and they said, thanks, Andrew, you're welcome. Um, I'll call you IIT, IIA, I guess. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Diane says, when searching for a company name online, what, I'm, I'm gonna, when you guys write, if you guys could just write it, like proofread it before you write it, because what I like to do is not reinterpret, but just read what you wrote. When ser- I'm going to read what you wrote. When searching for a company name online, what caused a regular MA to know that it's to know that's not a company name but a product name? I don't know what a regular MA is. Um, when searching for a company name online, what caused a regular MA to know that's not a company name but a product name? I don't know what you're talking about, Diane. Um, Can you retype it for me and put it down at the bottom? I appreciate it, I'd be happy to answer it, but I don't know what that means. Sometimes I'll, quite often I'll like, I don't know, but I think they mean this, and I think I'm guessing right most of the time. On that one, I'm just not sure. Um, But clarify and I'll answer it. Um, Let's see, Diane Wilson just wrote man. Okay, I don't know what man means. Um, Can you retype the whole question exactly? Oh oh okay. when searching for a company name online, what cause what caused a regular company man to know that it's not a company name but I still don't know what you're talking about. All right well we'll just so retype the whole thing and think through there and I'll answer it. Um, Arielle Ariella uh, Ariella Ariella yeah uh, hello Andrew looking forward to joining the InventRight team family. That's great, Ariella. Um, if you haven't already talked to one of our advisors, um, just go to InventRight, click on Contact Us and book an appointment on there. Talk to Sylvia or Dana; They're super friendly and, and they'll talk to you. There's never going to be a, a hardcore sales pitch or anything like that. We don't have used car salespeople working for us. You could even be like, you know, I'm not ready yet, but I might be in a couple of months. I just want to investigate, see what's involved. So go ahead and book with us. And that goes for everybody else too. Um, Steve Smith, how do you categorize your tax ID from your LLC? leasing? Question mark. That's the only part I'm stumped on for tax purposes. I'm not a tax advisor, Steve. So how do you categorize your tax ID for your LLC? That's not really an invent right thing. I, you know, you'll be able to find that online very, very easy. So I'm not really completely sure. Um, you say you want to associate your tax ID for an LLC. You can file and you can Register with the IRS and get a tax idea and then identify that with an LLC, I believe. I mean, I have an LLC, but I'm not doing the bookkeeping and stuff, so I forget. That should be an easy one for you to find. I don't have a, it's not a licensing question, so I'm sorry I don't have more for you there because I don't want to act like I totally know when I don't remember. I did know at one point, but I'm not doing our, our bookkeeping and our taxes, so, um, although we are an LLC. Um doo-doo-doo. <laughs> Hello, Andrew and other non-wacky inventors. That was from Deep Thinker. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, there are Deep Thinker, there are um, some, a so few whacked out inventors that's making the rest of us look bad, but I say you guys already passed that test, at least most of you probably. Just the fact that you're sitting here listening to me talk about the more boring and mundane, but completely necessary aspects to license and sell your ideas, um probably you're not completely wacky the wacky ones will probably get bored after 15 minutes and think they can make a million dollars overnight with no effort and they'll go off and probably get scammed by some invention promotion company or something that caters to their delusions or whatever um but the perception that most inventors are wacky i think is incorrect but there is a percentage out there that are and they make us all look bad and you know some companies get enough of those guys Our gals, um, they'll stop receiving ideas. But uh, I really don't think it's too bad. Um, What I like about our show is that it filters out the crazies because they hear us, they hear myself, they hear Steven, they hear us talking about the things you need to do. And it doesn't sound like get rich quick overnight. And they hear us talking about the work you have to do. So they don't typically call us and say, I'm interested in coaching. We get a few of them, but not many. So that's when I get somebody that's really off, I'm like, watch our show for a bit, and they'll help them get their head on straight a little bit. So, um, you know, if somebody's really green and clueless, I think that's fine. But there's a difference between that and being wacky. And they're, they are out there. Um, let's see. CEO D. Hi. Oh, hi. Hey, Andrew. Derek here. Do you. Or will you have an affiliate program? No, we will never have an affiliate program. I'll tell you why. I'll be starting a blog soon and want to send any inventors who follow me to use InventRight on their journey to licensing. Um, We toyed around with it, I don't know, 15 years ago. We don't want people misrepresenting us. We don't want people making claims about us because they're an affiliate or something like that. We have people sending folks to us all the time. you know, Derek, if you if you get your blog up and you've been up there for a while, um, you can give me a call and talk. But also, you know, I would send them to our show first because I, like I just said, it's a great filter to see if people are serious. So you can send them to our show. But um, I don't we don't do an affiliate program because we want to control the quality and what's being said And when you have these affiliates they're saying all sorts of stuff they shouldn't be saying making claims they shouldn't be making about the get rich quick program or whatever crap they're selling so that's the reason why we don't do affiliate programs but and you're just getting up with your blog but it, you know I, I tend to not really work with people that just literally got it up because a lot of folks not saying you like they're just they never get it up or it just disappears like a month or two or they don't really their heart's not really in it. But after you've been up for, let's say, four or five months or so, reach out to me and we can talk. But um, and in the meantime, hopefully maybe you just send some folks our way. But we're, we're really control freaks about being really honest and transparent with people. And the whole affiliate thing is just um, I'm not I'm not big on it. Um, okay, uh, fetters for, I remember fetters for, uh, when, when making your product, can you ask the company for parts from another manufacturer? Well, I mean, first of all, if those parts aren't proprietary, another manufacturer or another brand might have some certain parts that this company can use in their product. Um. But they may be generic parts that company may be buying things off the shelf or the company you license to may just make that part themselves. So without getting into the details, for. but, you know, one company isn't going to buy uh, a part from another competitor. That's not going to happen. But sometimes people go, oh, if I, I got Velcro and I'm doing my dumb voice because this is kind of dumb to think this, but it's okay. People are new and they're like, Oh, do I need Velcro's permission to use Velcro? I'm like, no, first of all, there's a generic version of Velcro, which is called hook and loop fastener. So you don't need to team up with Velcro to put Velcro on your product. Any manufacturer can buy Velcro or hook and loop fastener and put it on their product. So, um, I don't know if that would be applicable to you fetters for, but, um, It might be. So that's some food for thought there. Okay, so take a look at that. But without knowing what your product is, I can't say yay or nay for certain. Um, But, you know, in the end, you're just trying to intrigue them with the benefit of your product. Um, Ariella, uh, do you help your mentees with partnering in different categories, such as manufacturing, application and use? Oh, patenting, sorry. Um, Do you help your mentees with patenting in different categories, such as manufacturing, application and use? So, yes, we have um, a solution that comes with our coaching program called Smart AP, and it guides the inventor to file the provisional patent application. Um, We're not your legal advisor, so we can't tell you specifically what should be in it. But the software that our, our patent attorney we teamed up with will guide you through that part. But a big part of what you're doing when you're filing a provisional is thinking about the variations, workarounds and improvements. You can brainstorm that with your coach. So that's 80% of filing a good provisional. So, um, addressing in the provisional patent, um, it working in different categories or or different versions of it. Yeah, you can brainstorm with your coach. Our coaches are licensing experts. They're not engineering experts, but they could guide you. And most of this stuff doesn't require engineering. It's just kind of obvious, but some of it does. They could guide you and they go, well, you know, I will go here to find that answer or there to find that answer. So yes, we would guide you in um, brainstorming the variations, workarounds, improvements that you can include in your provisional, definitely um and we have two versions of doing that we can refer you to a patent attorney that will file it for you the provisional or we can do the diy version which is what the vast majority of our students do there's no need to pay a patent attorney to do a provisional patent application we can do it yourself and for those of you that are new if you ever looked at a patent you're like what? the heck is that? It's like some sort of foreign language, but a provisional can be written in common English. When you write a provisional, it's not going to look like, nor does it need to look like a regular patent when you do a patent search. So I always like to say that because people are like, I couldn't write a patent. I'm like, yeah, you can. I have students that don't have a GED that can have had wrote a provisional patent. I've never had a student in all this time we've been doing this, that couldn't write their own provisional. And when we've, um, had we went back, a, it wasn't that long ago. Actually, it was about ten months ago. We got permission from some of our students to share their PPA with this attorney we know, and we said, "Hey, what do you think? the 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 What, what do you think with regards to the quality level that our students were filing their provisional?"s At and he's like, "Whoa, this is like way better than I normally see. Like when I file uh, patents for inventors and they send me their provisional, it's just like, oh my god, it's a mess. But this is great." you know, and we were actually asking him because we, some of our students want a uh, attorney to review their provisional. And I always tell them it's not necessary, but some of them like, no, no, this is a really big project, it's really important. So we wanted to ask if he was cool with it. And he decided he would, said he would do it for like really cheap because he's like, these are really good, your students do a great job. So hopefully those are encouraging things um, to say. Um, El, Eleonardo. Um in one simple idea, it seems Steven's approach was to have one simple idea succeed by moving quickly and pitching hundreds of simple ideas. Not really. Um, thought thoughts on approaching licensing with only one or a few great ideas. Okay. Yeah, no, so um the point that, that Stephen and myself make in one simple idea is that because Steve because I don't know if you guys know this, but one simple idea is based on um, Stephen and myself doing InventRight for a really long time before we did that book. So there are techniques that Stephen and I have come up with over time. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I was the first InventRight coach ever. And I trained our first coaches. And then I was in charge of all the coaches. Now we have a head coach, Terry. That's in charge of all the coaches. So it was techniques that we developed together. And then we put into one simple idea. So one of the main approaches in there is in the end, not necessarily the beginning, but in the end, licensing is a numbers game. You want to work on more than one product and you don't want two or three companies for each project. You want maybe 20 or 30. Okay. Some ideas, you might only have eight or 12 companies. If you had a project that was only had literally two companies, I wouldn't bother working on it. Now, the thing is, a lot of inventors think they only have two companies. I look at the projects and I'm like, no, you have like 30 here. You're not thinking about this right. So if you're like, oh, no, these are the two. It's because you don't know how to make your list of companies. So, yes, it's a numbers game. That's the point we were trying to make in in one simple idea. Now, I tell people when they sign up for a coaching program, I don't care if you have any other ideas now, but don't sign up if you never want to work on another idea in your life, because that's just you're not going to get as much out of the program. So we do two things when we coach people is one we make sure you do and say everything right with your projects and then our negotiation coach helps you if any interest you get. So to know that we got your back and you're going to do and say everything right and you won't feel comfortable on the back end like you're a pro, but companies will perceive you that way because your coach is going to micromanage you in a very positive way and you're going to check everything with them first before you do it and you're going to be looking really good to companies. So yes, the goal is the licensed products, but the other goal is For you to experience a project or two during the six-month mentoring process where you say, okay, guys, I get it. I don't need you anymore because you got that real-life experience. What we found is people don't learn licensing from books and videos. They think they know it, but you don't know anything in life, most things in life, until you do it. I mean, like if you want to be a professional basketball player, you're going to watch videos of people playing basketball or even training videos or read books about it. You got to get out there and freaking play. And it's the same thing with licensing. And so this thought that I, d- I just don't understand why people don't think they need training in that area blows my mind. Stephen, in particular, he says all the time, he's like, "Why do all these people think they're just going to make it up? Like, if you want to be a plumber, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a nurse, or if you want to be if you want to be an administrative assistant, you need training. You don't just jump in and do it. And for some reason, inventors think they can just jump in and do it when they don't know what they're doing. And that's the reason why most inventors fail because they're doing a ton of stuff wrong if you just do usually one thing wrong it'll mess you up like if you're not studying the marketplace right or if you're not if your marketing presentation is not a good your list of companies isn't right or extensive enough or you're not reaching out right or you're not talking to them right if you're not doing these things right so the only way you get that experience is to do it we can never cover all that in a video so um, i just want people to get that experience with a project or two you shouldn't come out of the gate working on five projects. We actually don't let our students do that. We encourage them to work on multiple, but we go, let's get the initial calls in and LinkedIn messages in for number one before you start working on number two. But in the long run, you're going to have more success if you eventually work on two or three at a time, you know, and you have to gauge that. But I got plenty of people perfectly happy working on one at a time. Like they got this, you know, 60 hour a job, hour a week job, and they're just very busy. And it gives them hope because it's something fun and not everybody works a job they like. And so they're like, you know, this is something I have hope because of this. It's just the same old drudgery, you know. So there's nothing wrong with working on one at a time. But in the long run, if you're really wanting to have success, you should work on more than one. So what i tell new potential students as long as you have the desire to come with more i know you don't have to have a single other idea right now because that's easy to invent i can give you the basics of how to invent let's let's talk about that most inventors don't do this and if you guys want to up your game and be better inventors you're going to do this and so what you want to do is study a kind of a broader category i'll kind of give you the short version i don't want to go too long on this but, and I always use this example, it, it's, it's, you know, don't work on a barbecue spatula. I just use this example. So let's say you spend 30, 40 minutes studying all the barbecue accessories. Okay. Let's say you like barbecue, you like doing it on the weekend, fun memories of it, doing it with your family or friends or football games or whatever. And you're going to get onto Google images and you're going to type in barbecue accessories and you're just going to start looking through all these pictures. And then you're going to like kick back after a little bit and you're going to you know, and let's say in this particular instance, you're like, you know, everybody's got a barbecue spatula. I think I'm going to go into a deep dive into a micro category. That was more of a broad category. You can't become an expert in barbecue accessories. And um, in four hours, it's too many, too many, too much. Now you could become an absolute expert at all the barbecue spatulas in four hours without a doubt. And you could do it like two hours here, another hour, another hour, whatever. You could do it four hours at a time, what have you. It's kind of fun. And you don't have anxiety about what you're going to find because you don't have an invention. What happens is it's kind of stuffy in here. Let me open up these windows. Hold on a second. All right sorry about that guys um so it was just getting too hot i was going to start sweating here or something um so you could become an expert in all the barbecue spatulas in about four hours but when people come up with an idea and then they got to study the marketplace most of the time they do a pretty piss poor job of it because they don't want to find it and i can't tell you how many inventors i talk to not our students after they sign up but where they tell me what it is, and I've been doing this for 21 years, you know, longer. And I'm like, oh, okay, and I get it really quick where they could have been saying the same ramble and other people are like, huh, what are you talking about? And I do a search and I'm like, what about this? And they're like, where do you find that? What did you type in? I'm like, geez, like you didn't do your search, man. You know, And they kind of didn't do it because they didn't wanna find it. But guess what, marketing managers or they know what's in the category they're an expert in that category so let's say it's a barbecue spatula they know the other barbecue spatulas you can't be like this horse with blinders on where you're just looking forward because they will know and you'll just waste a ton of time on a patent a prototype a sell sheet reaching out to 30 companies just for a bunch of them to go well this is already done right so um people have anxiety so if you come up with an idea which is most of you come up with an idea and then study the marketplace that's fine but do a thorough job but see what's refreshing about this approach you studied a broad category barbecue accessories now you narrowed it down barbecue spatulas You're like i can handle this okay now i'm going to do barbecue spatulas And you look at all the images on Google Images and you type in different keywords and you're looking for the benefits. You're looking for how they're marketing it. You're looking for the price points. You're looking for different features and stuff like that. Like, oh, there's like five over here that do this. And there's those ones that do that. And then there's this combo tool that does this. And you have no anxiety because you don't have an invention. Right. And then, you invent. Now you're an expert in the micro category. This is the way, this is really the only way if you want to save time that every inventor should invent, but almost no inventor is inventing this way. This is the way you guys should invent. So, Leonardo, if you are like, I got this one idea, but I don't know if I have more ideas, play around with that a little bit and it will come to you. Now, if you spend four hours solid or let's say three hours solid or two, you know your brain might be fried, and so don't feel like you have to invent during that process. It's kind of like a little better that you don't maybe you write a thought down um because you want to kind of really get an idea of the space first and then invent so once you understand that space now you you bookmarked all that stuff you know you get fancy, you put a nevernote, or just bookmark in your browser, whatever the heck you want to do, but you got to bookmark those images and those pages where you found those products. And then maybe you're taking a shower, maybe you're driving down um, the street, and it'll just come to you. Or maybe you sit back, probably do this, sit back at your computer, look at all that stuff again, and it will come to you. If you came up with one idea and you do this, guaranteed, guaranteed, you will come up with more. Doesn't mean it'll happen every time. Maybe you do this barbecue spatulas and then time goes by and you come back and look at them again. It's just nothing's popping. And it might pop a year from now or five months from now. And then or it might come to you right away. But then you're like, okay, no problem, that didn't work. I'm gonna study another category, but this is fun. And you don't have the anxiety about finding something that's similar to yours. So, um, So if you just have one idea, and as long as you're confident with that process and any of you can do this, you don't have to have more ideas. Get started with that one idea. Start trying to license it, whether we're helping you or doing it on your own, and get that experience. And then you can come up with more ideas. Don't second guess yourself. Any of you guys can come up with more ideas. If here's the caveat, if you have the desire, if you tell me when I sometimes very rarely I have people like this idea. Oh, this is a big idea. And you're all like, great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And and they're like, I, I'm like, great, we're gonna teach you the process. No, 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 I want you to do this for me. I'm like, Well, that's not what we do. We're gonna guide you to do it. And he's like, Well, I, I'm not an inventor. I never want to do this again. I hear this not very often but occasionally you know what i would tell that person i'd say don't sign up because you're going to take all that experience we give you and you're never going to use it again ever but that's not most inventors most inventors some i talk to some they got hundreds of ideas 50 25 you know i have i come up with them all the time i don't write them down off the top of my head but i have other ideas or and all i say is do you have the desire to come up with more that is the only litmus test as to whether or not it makes sense to work on licensing your products. So I did a long ramble. Hopefully that was help helpful. Leonardo. Um, Let's see. Concrete says, hello, when, when contacting people and companies on LinkedIn, should we send initial contact message to the contact's email too, as well as a message on LinkedIn? Thanks. Um, Yeah, I think that's perfectly fine. Realize that sometimes when you click on the contact button, um, contact info button on LinkedIn, they might be using a junk email there because anybody can see that they might set it so you can't see it unless you're part of the network. It really depends. Um, But I think that's perfectly fine, both just asking for permission to send and not sending anything ever unsolicited. That's just a big no-no. Uh let's see. Do we what was it? Diane had a question. Diane, you didn't type your question in again. Um oh here we go. Uh, okay. Hi Andrew, when looking up a company's online to pitch your sell sheet, how will I know I'm looking at the company's name and not a product name? When looking up a company online, I don't know what that means. Um I'm looking at the company name and not the product name. Okay, so well obviously you have a product, so let's say let's say you're doing doorstops, okay, and you find a company that's selling doorstops at Walmart, okay? And you know, it's it, the name the product has a name, that doorstop has a name and preferably on the online version, you know, uh on walmart.com or wherever you're seeing it or at the store, it'll say the name of the manufacturer. Now, we'll always, we'll always say that. If you're at the store, you can turn over the package and this is manufactured by so-and-so, right? Now, sometimes this is a nice little tip. It's a detailed tip. But if you find a website, a, a retailing website, where you find a product, you're like, oh, that, that company, I think that'd be a good match for my product. You can take the name of the product and Google the name of that product. And if like Walmart.com isn't showing the name of the manufacturer and you sometimes you can zoom in on the box and you can go, oh, I can read it there. There's the name of the company. Just instead, if you get the name of the product, just paste it into Google and see other sites where that same product is showing up. And maybe they'll list the name of the manufacturer or they got a different picture where you can zoom in and see the name of the product on the back of the package so hopefully that was helpful diane thank you for retyping your question appreciate that um jeff said speaking of great names for products is it a good idea to give uh the product a name on the sell sheet or is it the description sufficient automatic bottle opener or bottle popper x extreme you know it really depends um I I like descriptive names. So descriptive names kind of tell you what it is. I think that's more important because a marketing manager is gonna look at your sell sheet. You have six to 10 seconds, that's it, guys. They're not sitting over there mulling over it. They're not gonna go to your website. They're not gonna like try to figure it out. If they don't get it in six to 10 seconds, you're toast. And they'll go, I'm not interested, okay? So um, descriptive names can be very nice. I think when you get too fancy with the name, and it's like two steps down the path. Like you understand the product and now the name makes sense. Don't do those. If it's a fanciful name, but it's also descriptive, like your example here, instead of automatic bottle opener, you put bottle popper extreme. Okay. So bottle popper is kind of saying if you have the right picture, saying it's a bottle opener too, maybe extreme. So I like descriptive names and it might be less sexy, but like I said, they're going to rename it something else nine out of 10 times. So that's not important. What's more important than a good name is that they get what the product is. So um, sometimes people have been thinking about it so long. You're so familiar with your product, but they're only giving it six to 10 seconds. If you get too fancy with it, you're just confusing them. If it's descriptive, you see the description, you see the benefit statement, you see the picture, boom, they get it. You know maybe this really fanciful name so you could have a fancy name but if the rest of it oh boom i get it okay but um so i'm not really big on getting too fancy with the names because most people do a pretty bad job of that and um but it really depends it really depends that's one of the things you know you have a coach that would be guiding you on all that if you're a student of ours and they that help you you know when you when you do something like sell sheets, like our coaches do over and over and over again, all day long, every week, you know, and you're helping students, that creative process is very natural for them. So they're your like marketing wizard, you know? Um, and you start to get a feel for it, you get better at it. The But Kind of being a good marketer is something that takes a little bit of practice. Um, and I don't find most inventors are good marketers naturally. Few are. Some are okay okay is not good enough you need to understand it in six to ten seconds so it's a skill that you guys all need to hone just like any skill the more you do it the better you get at it so yeah i'm saying that most inventors um their marketing's not good but when people leave us they get good at it um a few of them still struggle with it and still still need help but the more you do it just like anything the better you get at it um so this one this is frank uh can i use brands trademarks or prior art in my prototype or 3d rendering um so yeah there's something called fair use you can go on wikipedia and you can look it up it's called fair use f-a-i-r use and so when you're using a brand name or a picture of somebody else's product or whatever in a sell sheet or video that you're privately sending a marketing manager at a company, that's called fair use. And you want a disclaimer at the bottom that says all trademarks, logos, and products are for illustrative purposes and, the, and the, their rights are of their, with their respective owners for illustrative and demonstration purposes only. So you can use brand names and stuff in there if it's applicable you know um now what you can't do and i had this happen I, I had a student and some of you heard this story before but and he was doing something to do with football and we didn't know he had a website and we were helping him and he he had a coach but he he called me up in a panic and he said you know the nfl is going saying they're going to sue me and i'm like why are they going to sue you he's like well i i i put up a website and i have all the 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 um team names up there and an NFL logo. I'm like, well, what are you doing, dude? You can't do that. That's their brand. You can't do that. And I said, I gave him advice. I said, look, take it down like a millisecond from now and let them know you did. And they never got back to him, and they never sued him. but you can't publicly use other people's brands and products. But if you're privately showing it, for illustrative purposes, and you say that at the bottom, is for illustrative purposes only, you know, and all brands, trademarks, and products are are rights of their respectful owners, and you make that clear, it's called fair use. Now, there's certain, you know, so, so that is something you can do as long as you're not misleading. You don't want to ever mislead anybody that you own those brands. But you're privately just showing it to one person. You're not messing with their brand. Um, but I'm sure there's a line there that you wouldn't want to cross, but ask if it's really necessary. But yeah, sometimes, you know, you'll cannibalize another product. Maybe you get a Photoshop, something like that. And that's pretty normal. You're just showing what could be done, but you're not going to use that actual picture when you're finalized. You're not going to use those brands or what have you. Um, so that was a great question. Thank you, Frank. That was for Frank. Um, Mariana or are the invent, are the invent right licensing steps the same for intangible ideas like for an original cartoon character or kids book series, and wanting to license it into a show? So um, we have uh, helped students do things like that. But here's the deal. Let's so let's say let's say it's Ugly Dolls, That's something that's been around forever. So these ugly dolls i don't know if you google it i haven't looked at that in like eons but um if the cute character stands up on its own and it's like ugly or edgy or fun or gross or whatever and people saw it on a t-shirt or they saw the doll or the whatever and they're like yeah i buy that and there's no show and there's no comic book then go for it license that But to tell people they should license your character and the character is not intriguing in and of itself when there is no TV show, that's not gonna work, right? Why are they gonna license this brand with this backstory? They don't have an opportunity to tell the backstory unless it was just very obvious on the packaging and people just looked at it and said, oh, that's that's fun or that's cute or that's like, that's edgy, I like that, I'm gonna buy that. You know, I want that T-shirt with that funky character on there. But if it's required for the TV show to exist, it's hard to license these products and do essentially brand licensing. When you have no TV show, it's kind of putting the cart before the horse, if you will. So um, now the license, so we can teach you how to license characters. We've had students do it. You can totally do that. Question is, does it stand up on its own without any kid or an adult knowing about a TV show? So that's the big question. Now, licensing to Hollywood or publishing a book is is a different kind of licensing. Um, you know, I, I don't want to deal with. We've been candidates for, I think at this point, four or five TV shows. None of them ever worked out. They make these big promises, all this Hollywood bullshit talk. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopefully there's no kids listening, but so, so <laughs> i be careful. Cause my daughter's nine. She gets all upset when I swear, which I almost never do. But, um, but so, you know, it's just, it just, I, I'm not, we are not the ones to teach you how to pitch Hollywood. Okay. Um, and so you gotta ask yourself, does this stand up on its own? And are you going to be doing character licensing for this before you sold a single book or there's a TV show or something now? Maybe one could play off the other, or maybe you, you you do the character licensing and it does stand up on its own. They see it's successful and people love the character and then you do the show. Or maybe you do the show and then you do the character, but it's gotta stand up on its own, okay? Um, let's see. Okay, uh, this one is from Ravage Hernandez. Um, Andrew, two weeks ago, a toy company sent me an NDA They told me to sign and resend the attachment I did. Is it a good time to contact them back to check the status or should I give them more time? Thank you. Two weeks ago. um, I would give them a little bit more time. And, you know, here's the thing. When inventors don't want to give companies time, you know what the problem is? It's on you because you're not keeping yourself busy with reaching out to more companies. When you only reach out to one or two or three companies, you're sitting around, you can't help but to think about that submission. And then you're gonna reach out to them too soon. You're gonna bug them and then you're gonna be put in the amateur pile because you're pestering them. So I don't think two weeks is long enough. Now, they specifically asked for the NDA. I'd give another week. I think three weeks is fine, maybe four, but um, friendly follow-up. And when you follow up, make sure you reply so they can see what you sent they can see the nda they can see the communications so they're not like you're not like did you get it have you looked at it yet and that's all you say in the email like they can see everything it's all neat and clean right there for them the whole email chain okay so i would wait another week i think that's fine what you should have really done when you sent it in is said what's your what's your process what's the timeline for receiving some sort of uh comments back, just ask that initially. And then you wouldn't be asking me and it's going to vary tremendously, with different products. But, um, but the, and I'm not saying you're anxious, but reach out to more companies. If you just do it one at a time, then you wait for response. You're going to shoot your head in yourself sitting around waiting. That's going to take forever. That's not playing the numbers game. So keep reaching out to more companies. You will never be successful reaching out to two or three companies per invention ever. If not, you're getting really freaking lucky. And that's the reason, one of the reasons why our students are successful because we force them to create a nice big list of companies, not the their favorite two or three companies that are right in front of their face, more easy to find, or they're just the biggest companies in the world or whatever. That's amateur hour, don't do that. So, but you're in the game, Ray, Ray Baj, I think I'm saying that right. Um, Cause you're reaching out, It's fantastic, man. You're doing great. Um, Deep thinker, Almisha oh, is her name, or his, I'm not sure. It. Uh, I've created a product that could be a great accessory for a Starbucks product. Web indicates they don't accept outside ideas, but having a hard time letting go. Worth looking for a backdoor. So Starbucks is, uh, Starbucks, most of the time you wouldn't license Starbucks. So Starbucks is a retailer. They sell coffee so why would you try to license the starbucks license to the manufacturers that sell the starbucks so if they're selling a coffee sleeve if they're selling a plastic cup if they're selling a glass cup they're selling some coffee accessory so find the manufacturers that sell to starbucks and license to them and they will get it into starbucks and as well a ton of other places so that's the limited thinking that i see most inventors have it's like well what about all the other coffee chains you know and could this be in stores too does it have to be in a coffee shop could it be in a big box retailer could it be in a drugstore? without knowing your product i can't say but yeah it's worth you know i like your thinking misha is worth looking for a back door you're absolutely right that's not a back door that's the front door but you just don't know how to do licensing yet and you're just getting used to it which is fine so you're probably not going to is there some isolated instance where it might make sense to reach out to starbucks instead of these other ones yeah but they're really impossible to work with. I've had a lot of people try to reach out to them over the years. It's, it's basically impossible. Um, but you can get, if you license to one of their companies, then they can get it into Starbucks, you know, as well as everywhere else they distribute. Uh, let's see. Uh, Steve Smith thanks Andrew when setting up the LLC and tax idea request what type of business you're in since you usually mention licensing and leasing and there is no licensing option through the IRS it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you put put whatever um, you could you could put product development. I would put product development but it doesn't matter it's I don't as far as' I'm, I know it's not going to affect like the way they tax you or anything like that. so I would put product development. You know, that's what you're doing. Basically, you just didn't know what word. So there you go. Um, Derek said, I've signed the NDA, a company has sent me. How do I get the company to pay for the patent on the product? Well, you're getting ahead of yourself there, Derek. Um, a company signed your NDA. Uh, I signed the NDA, the company wanted you to sign theirs. So you signed it. I'm sure you read it to make sure it's okay. You're okay with it. You sent it. And now you're asking how they, I'm just, Just This is just for illustrative purposes, because it's just something you type. So I'm not giving you a hard time. But now you're asking about how to get the company to pay for the patent. You're asking the wrong question. It's not the wrong question. It's a good question. But how about how to have a conversation with them and how to move the deal along so you can get to a licensing contract and then be able to discuss about them paying for your patent. But So that's never the first thing you're gonna discuss. So I love your question because it's really helpful for a lot of folks. It's, it's, that's not something you're gonna be talking about on the first call, even remotely. So you file the provisional patent, hopefully. And then as you move forward towards licensing deal, you're going to gauge how interested they are in uh, filing a patent. Our students do deals all the time. Somebody's like, we don't care about patents. Yeah. We'll sign a contract, say, we have to pay you for the product. That's shocking to a lot of people. Our students do it all the freaking time. Um, I got a student right now. I was just talking to in uh, he's in Bali and uh he's an american i didn't ask him he's american but he, american accent and he lives in bali like super cheap beach like resort and he's licensing because the matter where he live, he he told me i could live on like he lives on like 15k or less a year in bali um but he's telling me the humidity is just like he's just a little side note guys sorry to ramble but um he said if he doesn't take all his clothes every two months and wash them they get moldy. Isn't that, that kind of humidity would drive me insane. Um, I live in the desert where there's no, I live in Las Vegas, Henderson area, and there's just like no humidity. When I go to LA every once in a while for vacation or San Diego, I'm like, it's so humid here. You can imagine what it is in Bali. But anyway, um, where was I getting with that? Um, So, uh, how was I talking about that guy? I forget. So how do I get the company to pay for the patent? Oh, yeah, so um, this guy, the the patent ended up being important to him, you know, And so in that case, you can in lieu of upfront money, you can say, "Well, when you ask for the upfront money, you say, "I'm just asking for this as an advance on royalties, so it will protect you and protect me if they care about a patent. And and then I'm going to use that to pay my patent attorney to upgrade the provisional to a full utility. And so basically the basics of that is get them to give you some upfront money. um, That's enough to pay for the patent. Now, one of the things uh, this is a detail, guys, but this is a great tip. When some companies are thinking about patents, the figure in their mind is twenty thousand dollars. When you could probably get one for like six or eight with a competent, independent practitioner, not a firm. And so I think it's very important to say you have a very competent, independent practitioner, and it could be done for this price. Because when you, you're you not thinking the same thing. They're thinking 25K, and you're thinking seven. So you need to say seven. I have a very competent, independent practitioner that can file this patent, and it will protect you and protect me. And, you know, I would like to talk about an advance on royalties so what advance on royalties is they're going to give you the money no money out of your pocket and you're going to keep that you're not giving that back and then you can give that to money to your attorney and they can file a provisional patent now the first seven thousand in royalties they're going to keep because they paid for your patent which is yours not theirs okay companies aren't you don't want companies filing patents for you guys it's always in your name and then the contract gives them the rights to manufacture it so if you have to pull the contract because they're not performing you don't want to have to have them reassign it back to you that's just a mess you do not want that we we advise our students never to do that and they haven't run into that problem because of that advice um so it's a discussion you have there's a lot more to cover there you know it, it's when you get into a negotiation it's it's like it's like moving around a bunch of cups and i gotta go oh, okay you're there okay this is what i would do and it's going to be different in every scenario so but those are the basics that i think will help you derek and everybody else and forget about that whole thing right now move the deal forward if you don't know how to do that call us we'll help you moving it forward now they just now they you just signed the India and sent it they didn't even show interest in it yet so you're not even they didn't even show interest in it yet because i don't see anything about you saying they showed interest you just sent the product in and you're already thinking about how they can pay for the patent which is a good question it's not a bad question you, you got to think a couple steps ahead and you know how to handle that otherwise you're going to feel uncomfortable when the time comes so this is a perfectly good question um let's see uh delusi De 82 should i get the lc before licensing most of our students don't they they You know, I always say when you're in the midst of a licensing deal, our negotiation coach insists that our students file uh, an LLC and do it under the LLC and not their own name. So that's a no brainer, an absolute must. But if you don't do it until you get to the tail end of a deal, that's perfectly fine. It's never bit one of our students in the butt. I don't see as being a big issue. Do you need a website? Hell no. And don't you don't need a website. Don't do a website, please. You put your pro- first of all, you shouldn't be putting products up on your website, publicly disclosing products. Don't do that. Now, if you've been selling your product and venturing it, that's fine, but it's completely unnecessary. You're going to email a PDF or an unlisted YouTube video that nobody can see except for people with the link. So, you do not need a website by any stretch of the imagination, complete and utter waste of time. If for some reason you had to, you know, and you want to use your domain name, like Bob. Bobsmithdesigns.com or something, Bob at Bobsmithdesigns.com. Um, have that website very general, like it could be a one page website. We design and license, um, we design, develop, and license new products. Have a little one pager and then contact information. Um, you know, when, and you don't need a domain name either. You could use Bobsmithdesigns at Gmail and you're good to go. A lot of corporate people use Gmail. I'm not promoting Gmail in a lot of ways. Sometimes I'm not a fan of Google and some of the things they do. But um, if you want to use your own domain name, like bobsmith.com, and some people do that, but then the website's not there. And that's always a little bit awkward. You know, it's like, well, I do not uh, see anything on the website, like the emails functional with that domain name, but the, but there's no website. So in that case, just one page splash page, but don't put any products up there ever. It's a waste of time. It's also, you're asking to jump through hoops. If it's right in front of their face in the email, that's what you want. You want them clicking off to your website you don't want to make public disclosures. So be careful about that. Uh, Mama Africa. I just need someone in the USA to partner with. Well, that's what licensing is. So when you're going to license to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer, they're your partner and they do, um, it's going to be their money their workforce and their distribution you need to learn how to license and that's what licensing is but you don't just you need to know the process you need to be a business person you can't just have an idea you know i just need somebody to partner with yeah you need to learn how to reach out and nothing will ever happen if you don't bother to do that but you're taking the time to listen to me ramble for an hour so that's your first step uh Let's see. Oh, did I skip your question? Let's see, Brian. I don't see your question, Brian. Brian said I skipped his question, but oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I do see it there. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that, Brian. Um, If I plan on becoming an InventRight student at any point, do you guys claim a percentage if the product gets a deal? Absolutely freaking not. Um, There's a bunch of reasons for that. First of all, these invention, promotion, scam companies that take you for 10 or 12 grand, pretend to work on your idea, their, their sales ploy is they go, we want a piece of your invention. This is great. This is fantastic. And they'll be like, oh, we're going to we want 10 percent, 20 percent. Quite often it's like 20 percent, 30 percent. And it's a ploy to make you believe they care about you and are actually going to work on your product. What they really want is the 10 grand or 12 grand they're asking. You know, And so it's a ploy. So that's one reason we don't do it. Another reason we don't do it is I don't want a student that's like at the tail end of a deal and they don't reach out to our negotiation coach, Paul, to help them close it out because they want to secretly try to close the deal on their own. And then it mucks them up because that is difficult to do. The, the, you know to, to finalize that deal and have that back and forth with the company, so I wouldn't want somebody going, oh you know I don't want to pay invent right there twenty percent so I'm going to try to close this on myself on my own I'll tell Paul that I, I I didn't get interest you know or that they fell off or what have you. I never want that I want people to not even think for a second to ask for our help. I could think of a bunch of other reasons as well um, I think the main reason is we're all about empowering you guys. We're about empowering you so you can say, I get it. I don't need you anymore. I can do this the rest of my life. We're here to support people while they're going through the process because people make a lot of false assumptions. And, you know, when we can see an email and we're like, oh yeah, companies will say that all the time. Here's how to respond to that. And you get another email and the student's like, oh, this is terrible. This is going to happen all the time. A coach is like, I've never seen anybody ask that at all. That's a weird thing to ask. That guy's weird. But okay, here's how we're going to answer it. So you start to put things in perspective and you get that real life experience. It's like you can't can't learn to play basketball unless you actually play. You can't watch video trainings about basketball and learn basketball. Same freaking thing. It applies to most businesses. But for some reason, people think they can just, just start blasting things out and they're not successful with that. So um, but no, that's the reason why we never ask for a percentage. Not only that, everything's confidential. We sign an NDA if a coach is like, hey, you can approve this like this or that, which they do sometimes, everything is yours. So it's a very transparent relationship. We've never had a problem in in twenty twenty one years. Um, I say 2021 because I'm not keeping track. It's like right around there. Um, I'm not sure if we're ripe for drinking age yet here but um so okay we we hit the hour um i did not wow i did not get to everybody's questions you guys had a lot of great questions um for those of you that i didn't get to your question next time show up earlier type your questions in earlier and i will be back next monday i'm going to ask the favor i always ask i spent a whole hour completely free answering your guys's questions even if I didn't answer your question answered a bunch of other people's questions you benefited from the solution so click on the subscribe button, click on the reminder button to know when new videos come out. And then just uh, like all our videos if you can. That's the way you could say thank you to me by getting even more education from us and liking our videos and subscribing. I would love to eight months from now be at 80,000 subscribers. We're at 50 something thousand. That would be huge for us. So please help us out there. And I remind you guys to take care, keep inventing, Again, if you guys are joining late, my name is Andrew Kraus. I co-founded InventRight 21 years ago, and we've been doing this ever since. And we have a lot of successful students. So if you want to book with us, go to inventright.com and click on Contact Us, and Dana or Sylvia will talk to you about the program. Even if you're like, I'm not ready to sign up now. I just want to know what it is and figure out if, if this is right for me. They're very chill. They will not hound you. They'll not hard sell you. They're very friendly. And we have we're so hands-off about promoting what we do in our coaching that we get people all the time, oh, I didn't know you guys coached. I'm like, do you hear us constantly referring to our students? What did you think that was? But um I think so sometimes I think we don't, we don't want to be some schmucks that are just constantly promoting our coaching program and stuff. But at the same time, I don't think we talk about it enough because so many people are like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. And, and so, you know, we don't make money off our YouTube show, the way that we pay all our employees and the way we support people. And the reason why we're able to have all these great programs like Bridging the Gap and all these other programs is because we do have to charge to mentor and coach people for literally half a year with a negotiation coach. We do a sell sheet. We do a virtual prototype. We give you software to file a provisional patent. It's... I'm biased cuz I'm a co-founder but people tell me all the time it's well worth the money. Look at our testimonial page if you if you want to find out more. Anyway, I'll let you guys go. Take care, keep inventing. I'll catch with you next time. Bye.